0: Everybody we want to welcome you back to the No Regrets Marriage Podcast. This is episode number two. And want to go ahead and I guess a quick disclaimer: if this is the first time you found us, go back and hear episode one because in there we start the story of really our life and our marriage and what God's done with us. And so this is really the part two, I guess, of that story. I'm Johnny Morton.
1: I'm Carl Morton.
0: And we are so glad that you're here with us and giving us some of your time today. Really a quick, quick recap. Uh, We've been married a couple years. We had our first child, a little boy named Zach. And he was born with a heart defect and it changed the course of our life and our marriage. And so many of the struggles and things that we dealt with in those early years were all built around that. And as we left off last time, we had come back from California when Zach was 16 and they told us there was nothing they could do for him. And they basically said, you need to go home and enjoy the few years you have left with him. And I remember asking him, well, how long? And he said, probably not much more than that 18, 24 months. So we were thinking maybe just two years left with him. Right. It was, uh, it was sort of a crazy two years in that, you know, we really didn't spend every day thinking this might be our last day. And I think that was a real gift from God.
1: I mean, we tried to think about, you know, depending on how Zach did and how as he began to get weaker and have less and less strength than if he was bed bound or we do hospice in the home or, you know, we, did, we tried to think about those things, but we also tried to keep living.
0: And I think that was really one of our good gifts to Zach, is that we didn't try to coddle him or protect him. We let Zach do as much as he could do. And in a lot of ways, he was the typical high schooler. Um, He loved sports. He couldn't play it, but he did. He was involved in every way he could. I think he was like the manager and scorekeeper for three different teams, football, basketball, baseball. And he was enjoying life to the fullest that he could. Yes. I still remember uh, we were in the car. We are on our way to the airport in Atlanta, going to San Francisco. And I got a call on my phone, and it happened to be the doctor that had told us two years earlier that we needed to just take Zach home and, and, and enjoy the time we had left with him. And I still can't believe it. And even I think about it now, he said, I don't know what's happened, but his heart is stronger, and that just doesn't happen. And we knew it was a God thing, and he said, I know I told you what I did before, but I think we might be able to do something for him. What were you thinking when he said that, Carla?
1: Oh, gosh. I was so sort of frozen. I mean, we were shocked on the one hand that they would say, you know, heart function doesn't just improve. And so we knew, like you said, that God is doing something. But the thought of going back to California again after that horrific experience two years earlier when he was 16 and the heart failure and the weeks we were in intensive care out there and just, it was an ordeal. And to think about reliving that, I was scared so I ended up saying, hey, I need to talk to the doctor on the phone a little bit. I need to ask some questions. And he was gracious and did that. Let us do that. Zach was, going, Zach was going to be 18 that fall. And so we knew a lot of this depended on Zach and what he wanted to try to do.
0: You know, I think the big thing, though, is for the, let's face it, for the first time in 18 months, we had hope that we hadn't had before
1: no you said 18 months but we meant like 18 years yeah. but definitely 18 months and we'd really from the beginning of zach's life every single interface with healthcare, the answer was there's just nothing we can do and this was the first time somebody said i think i can do something
0: and so we uh we came back from california we'd gone out there to do a wedding and we shared it with Zach and because ultimately it's his going to be his decision and Zach made the decision. Yeah, I want to go for it. And so we set up our plans. We decided we would do it sort of over the Thanksgiving break. So we wouldn't really miss much school. I know we wanted to be home for Christmas. That was his big goal. And so last time we had flown and went into heart failure. And so this time we did it by train. And so Zach and I did a three day train trip From Atlanta to California.
1: Which was crazy, but it was obviously a neat thing. It was the only thing we could think of to do. We had two other boys, as we mentioned last time. And so I was going to stay with them and let Johnny and Cole head out. And then I would fly out once it was right before we needed to do everything.
0: That would be me and Zach. Oh, what Cole was our baby.
1: Oh, Cole was our baby. Oh, that's another podcast and another story. So anyway, yeah. So I was going to fly out. I was going to stay with the boys and then fly out and meet you all.
0: And, you know, three days on a train seems long and it was long, but uh, just a, just a quick story about how it was such a picture of Zach and his element where I was, I was very happy to stay in our car and we had a sleeper car and stay there and do a lot of reading. And Zach had nothing to do with that. He was always in the common areas. He was in the restaurant. He was meeting everybody he can. Uh, pretty much by the end of the trip, he knew every employee on the train and knew most of the people. Craziest thing is when somebody prayed over Zach with the knuckle bone of St. Jerome. No idea whether it really was or not. I was not. Gonna
1: say, And who is St. Jerome?
0: Uh, I don't know. Oh, okay. But uh, when we got to Los Angeles, finally, uh, the conductor got on the train, on the loudspeaker in the train and said, hey, before you get off the train, I just want you to know, say a prayer for Zach Morton as he's getting ready to go in and have some heart surgery in uh, several days. So uh, that was cool. And being able to experience that with him was just such a neat, neat time with us.
1: Yeah, that that is an awesome memory and experience that you have. So... I flew out, and I met Johnny and Zach, and we started that process, which there's a lot of the story to that. There's a lot of details, which we won't go into all of them, but you have to have a heart cath, of course, before, and a lot of, you know, actually several days' worth of prep, if you will, before you're going to make the final decision to actually go ahead with the heart surgery. And all of that was super traumatic and hard and probably some of the lowest moments at that point in our lives. Zach, I think the reality of what he was looking at sort of hit him. We had the unfortunate experience of another physician coming in and basically giving us what you have to do is tell everything that might go wrong and bad and Zach having to hear that, of course, and... Them saying, "We, well, you may be here for months. You know, we don't know what it's going to look like." And at that point, Zach just—he fell apart. He fell apart, and
0: I can remember you were mad at me because I wasn't there when the guy had come in. Um,
1: Johnny kind of wandered a lot. I did. That's another day, I another did. story.
0: <laughs> I, I did. That's how I handled the stress. He of doesn't all like this. hospitals. Um, but I can remember coming down the hall, and I just heard Zach just wailing. Yeah, he, he was sobbing.
1: He'd and gone in the restroom like and, a dagger in my heart. And he just was wailing. And you could hear it throughout the unit. And, you know, the staff was coming to the door. And I, I I knew he just had to process that. But I'm telling you, I laid across the bed and sobbed like a baby myself because I thought this is a young man who has been so faithful mm. in his walk with Jesus in spite of the life and his situation. And he was in delight and a joy everywhere to everyone. And he was just sobbing from the bottom of his heart. And I was wailing too. And I was like, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And so it was it was a hard place. And this was still a day or two before we were going to meet with the sur- surgeon and make the final decision. And so we get to the morning of meeting with the surgeon. Do you remember that?
0: I do remember that. And uh, I guess a real backtrack real quick. I remember that night beforehand, we'd gone to dinner and we were talking to Zach. And, you know, one thing we never, even after the last two years, when we had that bad report from out there, we never really sort of brought up, Zach, you might die.
1: He never seemed to ask, and we thought we'll answer what he wants to talk about, and we kind of pressed it, but he never seemed to want to go there.
0: And he popped up that night. We were just sort of hem-hawing around and sort of did, and he says, like, do you mean that I might die? And we sort of looked at each other and said, yeah. And he said, well, how long have you thought about that? He says, well, you don't spend 10 days in ICU and not think that you might not make it. And so, again, that was just so... He carried so much of this inside that other people would never have known
1: it. And even us as his parents did not realize how long he had really known that he might not live. And because he didn't approach it that way and he didn't talk about it, and he just got up and went after life every day. We had, you know, we didn't know.
0: Yeah, but it's just such a picture of his faith and his relationship with God. I remember before we left, he had spoken to chapel at school and he said, you know, he says, I'm getting ready to go to California with my dad and I'm going to have heart surgery. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know whether I'm going to live or die, but I know that God does know and that I can trust him. And it was such a picture of this incredible faith. It was just such an encouragement, I know, to me. Um... Well, going back to that morning in the doctor's office, and he begins to say, and we ask, well, what are the odds? I mean, what do you think?
1: And the surgeon said, I think there's a 90% chance.
0: Oh, he actually said higher. He says, yeah. I think there's about a 96%. He said, I would put it about 96%, 98%.
1: Oh, I, okay, I was going to say 90 and But so, again, really good odds that the surgery could be successful. He felt really strongly about the game plan and what he thought he could do. And so he looked at Zach and, you know, Zach said, well, what happens if I don't have it? And he said, well, if you don't have it, you probably will have, you know, you're not going to get any better and you'll begin to lose strength and lose ability to do some of the things you are even doing now. And it'll get harder to breathe and it'll get harder to... You know, and and so he just tried to explain it, but he said, I think if we do this, I can give you another 40 plus years.
0: Yeah. And that was, that was, that was incredible to hear. And Zach's response was, I don't guess we really have much choice. Let's do it.
1: We got to do it.
0: And so the plan was to do part of the surgery and then.
1: Kind of a part one.
0: And then come back in about six months and complete the procedure. So uh, by this time, uh, really the next day, Carla's parents came out and uh, our other son, Kemper, he came out to be there with us during that time. We just had had a lot of fun. We went into the city a couple of days and just getting ready for the surgery. Of all the things, you know, I think about the crazy things you remember. One of the things Zach liked to do was get buzz cuts. And I can remember before the surgery, he said, I want to get a haircut. hmm <laughs> And he had that little buzz cut that you rub your hand over, and it's just like this smooth little fuzz thing. It felt so good to feel, and I don't know why that stands out, but uh, I, I remember most of all. I think was the night before we were going to surgery. We'd gone down to down to the pier in San Francisco, and we were having dinner, and it was uh, it was December, and so was Christmas time. And I'll still never forget standing on a the balcony. There was a lone saxophone player playing Christmas carols down in the courtyard. And I'm standing there with Zach, and this guy's playing, you know, I'll be home for Christmas. And I remember Zach saying, he says, that's my song. He says, I want to be home for Christmas. And I we saying, well, hey, God willing, you're going to be home, and we'll be back in making. You'll be able to be with all your family come Christmas. And that is one of those moments that's just...
1: Etched forever.
0: Etched forever. It's a sweet, sweet moment, especially, especially because of the aftermath. Remember, we got up early in the morning.
1: We got up early, got to the hospital. Um, said our, we'll see you when you wake up. Stuff, and spent the days you do. For any of you who are listening who know what it's like to sit and wait and knowing the surgery would take most of the day, as it did. And yet, at the end of the day, when the surgeon walked out, it's the first time anybody in healthcare has ever smiled
0: hmm.
1: in, in, in relation to yeah, the an report outcome. they had to give us. And he smiled and he said, It went awesome. He said we were able to do everything we hoped to do to lay the groundwork for a complete repair in a couple of months, maybe by summer. And he said he was solid as a rock, steady as a rock.
0: Steady as a rock. Um, Tell about when we finally got to go in there and see him.
1: It was precious. And, of course, he was on the ventilator, so he couldn't talk. But he was awake. And he was des- just so desperate to tell us stuff. And so he wanted to write. So I pulled off a paper towel and he wrote on there, tell Kemper and Cole, I love them.
0: That was and sweet. And
1: that was so sweet. He looked for the first time in his life, he looked pink. Yeah. And I remember I kind of pulled up the end of the sheets at the at his feet. To look, never, at his, yeah, look at his toenails. I'd and never that. seen his toenails not be blue. Yeah. And because he always was somewhat cyanotic, because his oxygen levels stayed really low, Um, and so I just—it was so exciting. It was just—I mean, we just could not believe this had happened. And so we're we're gonna run um, we're gonna run change, and then come back and be in the waiting room for the night. And at some point, a few hours later, they called us back and said he had a little bit of a bleeder they felt like and they just thought it was the wisest thing to go in go back in get the bleeder flush everything out with antibiotics just clean it all up so we didn't have to worry about chasing that he said everything's fine he is still steady he is stable everything looks great and so
0: solid as a rock is solid what is he said, rock. even after they came back from it, they did it. They did what they needed to do. He said he solided a rock, solids a rock. Uh, he's asleep. And, you know, and then I remember we were...
1: I got, before before that, I had had the chance to go back in there. And again, he was wanting to say something and he, he couldn't talk, of course. And so I just was sort of patting on him and I said, Zach... It has been one of the greatest joys of my life to be your mom. And I said, I am so proud of you. I am just so blessed. And I just got to pat on him and sort of lay on him a little bit, lean over on him. And he kind of was drifting off. The anesthesiologist had given him a little more pain medication. And so he was drifting back off. And so I just sort of tapped the bottom of his leg. I didn't want to wake him. And so I went on out. And we were in the waiting room, and it was the middle of the night. It's
0: about one in the morning when we heard them call a code to the ICU. And I looked at Carla, and she says,
1: I said, Is Zach? Zach? And he said, How do you know? And I said, Because um, the surgeon, the only patient he has in this unit is Zach. And so we, I remember running
0: through the hospital. We ran back. Because they
1: called for the surgeon too. And so we ran back to the
0: ICU and they wouldn't let us go back there.
1: And we knew, of course, then that that it it was was, back.
0: Something was not good happening.
1: And we didn't know. And we just, you know, we're just literally, it is, I don't even know how to describe the, the, the feeling that, I thought I knew that we were losing him, that God was taking him. Yeah, I I
0: think we thought at the time maybe he was bleeding. Yeah,
1: that was our thought. He's bleeding out. But I was thinking they're doing everything to to code him to resuscitate him. Um, You know, if he's had a bleeder, then maybe they can you know give him blood. They can get it stopped. But somehow in my soul, I I knew. Talk about that feeling. I, it was, it was like there was this pull, this literal, physical pull on my soul, and it was like I knew, I knew God was taking him, or had taken him, and it it was just, there's really not words to describe that, that moment. I remember I'd gone in the bathroom, and I just, I sort of just, got against the wall and slumped down and I thought okay this this must be what it feels like when this kind of thing happens just this overwhelming just devastation you know and and so we we go back in and and of course we've been told that they're working on him they're doing everything they can do at some point, they came, someone came and got us and, and took us to the room as we sort of laughingly, tongue in cheek, tell people, you don't ever want to be invited into the little room.
0: No, it's a so far, nothing good's ever happened in those little rooms to yes. us. And so, I remember when yes. the doctor came in there and the surgeon was, you could tell he was devastated. He was just like, I don't know what happened. And he went back. He was solid as a rock. And they went on to describe that with doctors in the room, the anesthesiologist had just checked everything in his body. He says, literally, I looked down. I was writing in my notes. And all of a sudden, the alarm went off, and his heart just stopped.
1: Yeah, he said, I heard a beep. And I turned around, and he was just flatlined.
0: And he didn't bleed out. His heart just stopped. And I remember in that moment, it was partly I guess we're in shock, but just covered in the grace of God in an incredible way that he looked at us and he said, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what happened. And remember them asking about doing an autopsy. He says, we just need to know. And we said, we know. God took him (laughs) home. That it wasn't anything you did, but the guy took him home. And it was it was the it was literally the most painful thing we've ever been through in our lives
1: it was and it as Johnny said you know you're in shock and um, and to some you know who's who've known our story and known us the thought might be wow well Zach was born with a heart defect and he lived 18 years and so you probably were thinking that the whole time and on some level yes but in the
0: Well in the moment it was the, it was like you said before, it's the first time we ever had a doctor who said, Hey, I can do something.
1: You know, I think back about the very first doctor who did Zach's surgery at six weeks of life. He walked in the room and he said, I don't really even want to do this, but your baby's lying and they're dying and so I'm gonna try. I don't think I can do anything. And so I'll never forget I turned around and I started to sob, and my mom said, "Carla, God has the last word, not man." And I rem- I think the story is so interesting that at the very beginning, man said he can't live, and yet God said he will live, and at the end, when man said he can live, God said, "I'm taking him I'm home." Ready, to take him home. So. Wow, I know that's kind of heavy. That's there's no way to it tell is. this story without it no, being. No, there's heavy. not,
0: and uh, and yet it is such a part of the fabric of who we are as a couple, as a family, and that what was both one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave us, and Zach was also one of the hardest things and one of the greatest hardships, and the thing, one of the things that made our marriage life so difficult at times. That it was also the very thing that drew us together because we shared something that we could never share with anybody else. Yes, and going that's through that.
1: One of the things, and we'll have other times that we'll talk about grief, and we know that grief comes in all different forms. Losing a child is incredibly horrific on your marriage and your family, it, it will beat up your marriage like nobody's business. But we also are testimonies to the fact that God can do incredible things, even in your deepest pain and hurt. And so that's our that's our hope. That's our encouragement to you that we are a testimony that God can carry us and he will be faithful.
0: And as we said before, when we started the podcast, you know, what we wanted to do was you know, bring hope and encouragement to couples. That wherever you are in whatever state and season your marriage is in, hey, God's grace is sufficient. And I know we haven't experienced everything that can happen in marriage, but we've experienced some of the hardest. And, And in that, God has woven us together in a way that I don't think we would be if we hadn't gone through that. And I'm so reminded of the verse, it was really one of Zach's favorite verses, that, man, God works all things together for our good, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And even in the midst of that pain, God was working it for our good. And we're so grateful to him. Um, Yeah, this was a pretty heavy one, and we thank you for sharing with us, but we want you to know where we're coming from. And we want you to know that God's put us through hard things, and yet His grace is sufficient. Really quick, shameless plug. Um, Boy, out of this and in the aftermath, we ended up journaling for a year, and eventually we turned that into a book called Furious Love, A Journey Through the Heart of Grief. And um, it goes a little bit more into the story and what that day-to-day like was afterwards. Uh, probably be some times in the future that we share some of that stuff. And uh, but I think we've done enough for tonight. And so we just want to say, hey, thanks for being here with us. Uh, Carly, got anything last things to say?
1: Thank you again, as Johnny said. Thank you for letting us share part of our story and part of our passion for why we feel so strongly about marriage and about, you know, learning to love one another through the hard times and so we're going to talk about that more in the the weeks ahead so we hope you're going to be with us
0: all right all right folks bye we'll see you on the flip side